Amen. Thank you, Pastor Jared. So this little gizmo was on the stand that I'm going to use. Looks like a clock. <laughs> Don't know if somebody's trying to send me a message or not. But it says snark on it. So that's pretty, pretty even more concerning. And um, the good thing is I can't make it work. So, um, so much for coded message because I'm not getting it. So take out your note sheet. Uh, um, man, I've had fun at looking through this and rereading stuff and, and uh, remembering some things that I've forgotten, learning new things that I never picked up along the way. And my hope is that that's your uh, experience or something similar to that when we look into God's Word. Sometimes you can read something many, many times, and, uh, and then you'll, God will just help you get a different part of it. His Word uh, says in Psalms that God's Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And so last week we talked about you know, some, some approaches we can take to God's Word, and, and again this morning we want to say that it's, that it's good for us and that it's beneficial for us. Uh, real quick fill in right below our text this morning before we read it. I want you to, to remember again today, this is 100% good news. Okay? So I want you to have that in your handwriting. Uh, help drive that down, rivet that down into your heart and life. As we read through this, some of the things in here you think, well, I, I don't want to do that. All right? But the reality is what Jesus was sharing with them then and now, this is 100% good news. You can't take it any other way. If you do, you're missing the point. And I don't know about you, but I have yet to have a day or a week where I just had to get online and say, listen, that's enough good news for now. Anybody have that week? If you had that week, that's great, all right? But, you know, you just, and you, when you look, you got to remember Jesus is teaching. He's been teaching. Uh, goes up into the mountains to try to get away with uh, 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 some of his closest friends and followers. And what happens? Did they go along with him? Yes, but so did other people, right? So it's, he's not just talking to a, a, a small group here uh, anymore. So Matthew chapter 5, New International Version says it this way. When he saw the crowd, he went up to the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, so they, because they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. <coughs> Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let me just uh, pick up a little thought there when it says uh, the, the prophets that were before you. One of the things you have to realize, and this will be your, maybe your next fill-in, um, you know, when you get good news, sometimes it might be news that has existed for a while, 
but, but you're waiting on it, realize that, that the people he'd be talking to had heard uh, uh, for years and years, likely all of their life, as soon as they you know, started remembering, they, they were taught about a Messiah that was coming. They understood that, and they understood the Old Testament law, and, they, and, and there, there was a lot of anticipation, but this was more than a one- or two-year process. So this new news is great news. There's a newness to it. If you're a believer here today and you've had a Bible for a while, you may have read this, I don't know how many times, all right? And so in that, it loses some of the newness, right? If I use the term new car smell, would that register with you at all? All right. What is, I mean, it's hard to define what, what you know, what, what that is, but, but, but we, we understand it. We go, oh, that, this thing hasn't been, in, and for them, this is new news. This is anticipated news. Hey, Jesus is talking about stuff that we've heard about, that we told were coming, we, things that we've told would, would take place, but, but this, this is the guy. And we have a great perspective in history, but we don't necessarily maybe have some of that built-up anticipation, that longing for, and, 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 and that waiting, and that wondering. We call this uh, a section, the Beatitudes, we talked about this last week, so I've just given it to you for review. The Latin, that's a Latin word for blessedness, for being fortunate, happy. Now, happy tends to be a little bit shallow in our society, but because it's what we need to do when we go to the original languages, we have to do it. We have to do that, right? So, blessedness to be fortunate to be happy. Now, turn your note sheet over real quick. The Greek word that's used in Matthew is makarios. I'll give you that spelling because I wouldn't know it otherwise. M a k a r i o s. M-A-K-A-R-I-O-S, which has two basic meanings that aren't dissimilar from the Latin at all. Happy and fortunate. Now, I don't know about you, but those opportunities in life that I have to make a choice, I like to hang around happy people. I mean, who wants to put on their calendar three hours with Mr. or Mrs. Grumpy Pants? Nobody, all right? Now, your schedule might force you to do that, but if you have a choice, this is good news. This is, this is people who have a, a deep-seated satisfaction, an understanding that, hey, I'm fortunate because of who God is, because of God's desired interaction with me. The, the, what we're going to look at this morning <coughs> is verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't know, but you better be somebody if you can promise the kingdom of heaven. Well, could you raise your hand if you agree with me? Jesus can pull off that promise, right? What he's talking about here when we talk about poor in spirit is our attitude, our approach, and our relationship with God. How is it that you see yourself in light of who God is? What, what relationships exist? 
what positive or negative tensions exist, pressures that, that are, are, are hopefully balanced. When he says poor in spirit, you need to realize that that has nothing to do with an earthly standard. Okay? In fact, one of the things I think we're going to do as we walk along this is uh, uh, and, and look at these uh, uh, different verses is kind of compare what the Bible's saying and then what might be a, what might be a cultural norm, right? So for, for poor in spirit, nothing to do with the natural. It has nothing to do. A lot of times when we hear the word poor, your mind may run to finances. It has nothing to do with that. Has nothing to do with uh, 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 economics at all. Has nothing to do with with uh, worldly position, whether you're an important person or not very important person. Right? It has to do with your attitude about yourself, and it's not poor self-esteem. Look at me real quick. I want to make sure we're not talking about poor esteem. All right. Okay. It's somebody who has humbly understood who God is and how amazing He is. And that should, in a healthy way, shape and form and, 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 and put good pressure on your life. Blessed is the poor in spirit. This is not, say, blessed is the person who runs around and goes, oh, I'm terrible and I'm awful. That's not it at all, all right? The opposite, all right, of this would be somebody who goes around with, an excessively high sense of self-confidence. Rather than understanding Scripture that says, I can do all things who, through Christ who strengthens me, right? they would have an attitude that says, hey, I can do all things through me who strengthens me. That's not what the Bible is encouraging here. He's encouraging a poor spirit, a humble spirit, heart, attitude, position, Deep understanding of who God is. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The, our cultural norm might be of self-reliance. Where you have a thought that I have need of nothing or next to nothing. I'm my own woman. I'm my own man. I'm, I'm my own person. I'm going to make my own way in this world. Friends, it's been tried many a times. I'm going to suggest to you. What Jesus just promised is huge. That when you and I get the right spirit, we get adopted into the family of God, and therefore we can understand a promise that Jesus made, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's a good promise. How many of you ever had a promise that, that, that was made to you and uh, you were sorely disappointed on its delivery or lack thereof? Right? Let's go a little bit deeper. How many of you have made a promise and you weren't exactly able to deliver on it? None of you? Wow, a lot less on that side. Well, good job at keeping all your promises. All right? If, if, if the cultural... If, if, if the biblical norm is a poor spirit, the opposite of that might be somebody who says, hey, I'm just absolutely got it under control. I don't need God. I, I might choose to engage God on a rare occasion because I want to or to uh, maybe appease somebody in, in my life. That's not what Jesus is encouraging. 
When he talks about poor in spirit, he's talking about somebody who is absolutely reliant upon the work of God. You know, it's interesting, and it, it, this happens to you as well, but I uh, uh, was trying to get a hold of somebody this week, and I got their voicemail, and this is not a bad thing, and, and this is nobody at Grace, so don't try to figure out who it is. Uh, and this person said, uh, uh, have a blessed day. Now, that's not the worst thing you can say to somebody, right? I mean, can we agree on that? All right? But, but I, you know, it got me thinking about, well, you know, what, what is our interaction? And what are, if we start off this text, the, this Sermon on the Mount, he starts it by saying, hey, if you've got the right heart attitude, if you're poor in spirit, all right, uh, you, don't, you don't have this uh, uh, written down anywhere, but I want to encourage you, it, it's, it's not about not understanding who you are. In fact, it's all about understanding who you are. It's not about saying, I don't have any gifts, I don't have any abilities, I don't have any skills worth mentioning. That's not true, because that's not how God creates His children. But it's a very different perspective to say, hey, I got all this. Isn't the world wonderful to have me be part of it? Versus... You know, God's, God's gifted me. God's given me some talents. I've, I've got some abilities. Maybe you've had to work at them. I think that's stewardship, all right? If you have a, a, a natural talent or ability or, or, or something that you can do well, uh, don't just leave it there, but, but sharpen it and try to improve it and, and do your best. But a poor in spirit person says, I know where those things came from. It has nothing to do with being a self-made man or self-made woman. It has nothing to do with your, your family heritage. Right? The poor in spirit person understands, you know what? I, I do have some, some giftings. I do have some things that, that I'm kind of good at. But that's not where my confidence is. My confidence to, to be able to be a person who is going to inherit the kingdom of heaven doesn't come in my own strength and my own ability. I don't know if your day or your week looks at all like mine, but it, it happens to me on a regular basis that in, in every 24-hour period, I run out of steam. I'm getting a lot of blank looks like, well, Pastor, why are you doing that? <laughs> Anybody run out of steam? 10, 11? 6.30, 7.30, you know, whatever, right? The, the, the poor in spirit is a, is, is a deep-seated decision in our heart that says, you know what, my confidence isn't going to come from my own strength, my own ability. The, the thing that, if I could just give you the Tide Cloud paraphrase version, the thing I'm banking on is not me, it's God. You know, um, uh, Jesse Ventura. Anybody here want to be willing to, to admit to watching pro wrestling? Come on, raise your hands. Listen, somebody's watching it, and it's, some of it's you. Uh, he was a pro wrestler. What was his uh, shtick? The body, Jesse the body, Ventura or something or whatever. And then, uh, and then he became governor of Minnesota, because those are pretty congruent careers, right? And uh, I don't know what happened. But, but he made a quote. Some of you are already ahead of me. You're remembering it. Do you remember when he talked about religion being a crutch for the weak? 
Some of you, oh, wow. No, he did. It's, you, you could probably YouTube it or something. It's there. But, 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 and, you know, at first, I was really offended by that. Listen, buddy, I'll show you a week, you know. I'm going to go physically brawling with some 340-pound guy. You know, like we pretty much know the outcome of that, right? But he wasn't altogether wrong. Now, you say, well, we, we get bent out of shape because we go, well, 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 well look, look at what God's Word says, all right? Before we get too, too offended by Jesse, the body of Ventura, and this, we're not letting him formulate our theology, but chapter 9 says, Jesus went on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the, the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told Matthew. And he got up and he followed him. Just, now, this is not the point of our text. Don't you just love the simple? What Jesus said, follow me. Jesus didn't give him six points, three points, two points. He gave him two words. Right? Follow me. What's, Jesus, what's Matthew do? Picks up his stuff, follows him. He says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and, quote, sinners came and ate with him uh, and his disciples. The Pharisees saw this. They asked his disciples, why does your, tax, uh, your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now let me just stop there. The inference is, why does your teacher eat with those people? Those lowly in society people. Those people that we know they're dishonest. We just can't push back against them very hard. Otherwise, our name will end up on a blacklist and they'll siphon even more of our money away from us. The other inference of the Pharisees is, how come he eats with those people that are lower than we are? They're sinners. Maybe we aren't is maybe what they're trying to to imply. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but what's the Bible say there? But the sick. But go and learn what it means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come, uh, not come to call the righteous, but what? <coughs> One more. <coughs> That's all for today. Excuse me. It's pretty clear what Jesus is saying, isn't it? I came for the sick. What do we want to do spiritually saying? We want to say a, a poor uh, in spirit person doesn't say, hey, I'm fine. I'll tell you one of the most heartbreaking things is when people just outright reject the love of God. Some of you used to be there. Some of you might be there today. You may know somebody that's important to you. You, you love them. And, 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 and what all you want them to do is spiritually get it right and realize, you know what? I've got a sin problem. Now, you might be sitting here today and you've been a believer for a long time and you've read through your Bible several times, which is great, is good, keep doing it. And you realize that the Bible says all have sinned, all have fallen short of God's glory. The poor in spirit person has come to the realization that I need a rescue. The poor in spirit person says, you know what? 
I'm not going to make it to heaven on my own. Part of the shift that Jesus is doing here culturally, he's not, he's not abolishing the law. Scripture is clear that he came to fulfill it. But he's moving them away from just, hey, here are the rules, follow it, to a deeper commitment internally. So when some guy pops off on national news about organized religion being for, for the weak and being a crutch, have you ever needed crutches? You ever have a problem with the foot or an ankle or, or something? Now, this might sound weird, but, but hear me out. When you need them, those are pretty great. Like, I mean, seriously, God bless whoever figured that out, all right? We were hobbling around for years, and somebody went, you know, if we made these sticks. <laughs> right? Why? Because you go, well, I don't really want to do this, but, you know, I broke my ankle playing soccer, whatever it was, all right? Spiritually, we're all broken. And a poor in spirit person is, is strong enough to say, not only do I need God, but I want God in my life. And that's where perhaps at least some of that tension uh, uh, occurs in our lives where we have to get to a point that says, hey, I'm not okay. Spiritually speaking, I'm, I'm sick. I need a doctor. Spiritually speaking, I'm a sinner, and I can't be good enough to get rid of that. But I, we could take up Jesus on his offer, can't we, for his unconditional love and forgiveness in our life. So the, the, the idea of poor in spirit isn't somebody who's just going, oh, man, I'm just awful, and, and I just, you know, lowly me, and, and, and you're trying to act humble, what, whatever that looks like. The thing we would, I would question you about being poor in spirit is is what is it that you're banking on a poor in spirit person understands who they are and and i'm not trying to be humorous this is this is the fact you are wonderful because the bible says you were you were wonderfully very thoughtfully built and designed all right so that's true, but, but we've all got a sin problem, and so we humbly approach God's throne with confidence based on what we know from the truth of his word and say, hey, I need you, and I want to live for you. So, so there's some truth that, hey, we got to get this one right, otherwise the rest of them are going to be difficult, if, if not impossible, right? poor in spirit, having that balanced approach and saying, my confidence isn't in me. I don't know about you, I'm banking, like heavy banking on the grace of God. Now, if in your mind, if that makes me weak and, and lame and whatever other adjectives, then you just, you just adjective away. But spiritually speaking, poor in spirit is something that Jesus is encouraging He's linking it to full adoption into the family of God so that you can be part of the inheritance that Jesus has for us. I've told you before, I, I, I love adoption. I love adoption in the spiritual realm. I love adoption in the natural realm. It's such a powerful thing to be a person who's Poor in spirit means you attach yourself to God and who he is and all of his promises. And so when we read verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is 
the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't say will be. He doesn't say that it might be. He doesn't give any kind of quotient that you have to do. But when you get that heart attitude right, you get an inheritance that truly, friends, is second to none. Feel free to smile. That's a good deal. Then and now, because you're fully adopted. It's not about being self-contained. It's about trusting in God and who he is. So I alluded to the fact that Jesus is trying to change how we follow. That's your fill-in on the back. How we follow Jesus matters. And there's a lot of ways we can follow him, right? We can follow him surely out of tradition. Well, my parents took me to church, so I'm going to go to church. That's not the worst thing you're going to do on a weekend. But you might miss out on the poor in spirit quality that Jesus is driving at. If you're gonna if you're gonna answer one thing this morning, answer me this. How many of you ever came to church out of guilt? How many of you ever came because you didn't want those people to think that you didn't love God? Because I don't know if you know, but if you miss three Sundays in a row, people start talking. Hopefully not here at Grace. Right? Sometimes your own brain starts talking, right? Well, what are you doing? What are you doing? Now I'm I mean Regular Sabbath day and, 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 and corporate worship is important, all right? But how we do things, why we do things is important. How we follow Jesus is part of what he's drilling down on here. How many of you uh, follow the, uh, some of the laws of our land uh, uh, sheerly because you don't want to be punished? I follow a number, let me just be a little bit more clear. I follow a number of our traffic laws simply out of economics. I already give enough money to the state, all right? I, I, I don't want to give any more, all right? You're laughing because you do the same thing, all right? Now, an, a different attitude we could take concerning traffic laws, as an example, is maybe this is good for me. I doubt anybody in the room has, but there might be one and probably more next hour. But, but some of us are convinced that we can drive just about as fast as we want and have it be safe. It's the other guy that needs the speed limit. Anybody? Jesus is, 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 is boldly inviting them to a different way to love God. Not to, not to, not to follow the, the rules and regulations of the law because you don't want the negative consequences, but to do it out of love and desire, to do it out of trust that, you know what? There is just a somewhat of a chance that maybe God knows best. Maybe that God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, that made everything that we know and everything that we don't know and yet to discover, did that in six days, took a day off, maybe that God would know what's best for you. And a person who has their spirit right the humble spirit, the poor spirit says, you know, i got a choice to make here. 
I can go Todd's way or I can go God's way. And we don't do it because, oh, well, you know, I don't want God to do that heavenly game of whack-a-mole and reach down in, you know, woodland and hit me. That's one way. But a different way is to say, hey, you know what? I trust God. I trust God enough to follow him even when it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I trust that when I read his word and, 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 and there's things in there that, that challenge me, I don't just blow it off. When I read things in there like it's to your glory, it's to your credit to overlook an offense. No way. I'm not overlooking an offense. I'm an American. I'm not going to be a doormat. I didn't say it's a doormat, but it does say we get an opportunity sometimes. When somebody offends you, bends your nose out of shape. Probably you're not as bad of an offense as you think, but you're offended. You get to make a choice, don't you? Well, you do. That and a thousand other things. A person who's poor in spirit says, you know what? I'm going to go with God. Oh, of course, we could go with the cultural norms. Self-sustained, self-motivated, self-governing. Or I can go with God that says, you know what? There's a blessing that rests upon people who are poor in spirit. The promise is that the kingdom of heaven is currently yours. And that's a great, great, great thing. Look back at your note sheet, Colossians chapter 1. For he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdoms of sons that he loves. That's a great place to be. In whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. The poor in spirit person is eager to follow God. How can I get this right? What could I do to, to further align my life? That's the life that I'm primarily responsible for. How can I do this this week, this month, this year? What can I do to with great joy serve God and get it more right? You know because you've done it yourself. You know because you've observed it in other people's. That attitude is huge. Let's fast forward to a few weeks. We're going to be selling, we're going to be celebrating Christmas. What if you run into a friend out in the lobby and they pitch a card at you and go, Merry Christmas? Are you feeling the joy? You feeling the love? Right? You go, well, dude, you didn't have to do anything. Well, I didn't, you know. How many times do we serve God with that kind of, okay, I'll go. Listen, you don't have to go to church. Listen, you don't have to serve other people. But our country is ripe with opportunities that a lot of places in the world don't have. So it's incumbent upon us to to try to take our attitude and get it in the right spot and say, hey, I want to serve God. I want to do as much as I can do to communicate God's love to people by words and by deeds. It's not about putting yourself down. You have talents. You have abilities. I know that because God says that in his word. They're different than other people around you. Discover those. Develop them. That's all good. 
But what Jesus is really trying to engage here at first is us at a heart-soul level. The poor in spirit. Those who have a balanced approach to who they are. By balanced, I don't mean 50% you and 50% God. By balanced, I mean to say you understand who God is and who he created you to be. Things he designed you to do. And frankly, I believe expects you to do and to do them well. We get to do that. As followers of Christ, we, we, we get to do a lot of things. And it's a great joy. I want to close with the, by reading you a hymn. I could sing it to you, but that wouldn't be good. Have you grew up in a church tradition where you opened up a page of book? How many of you grew up in a church tradition where right over here all the numbers would be? Some of you? Yeah, yeah. Last week's offering, all kinds of weird information. And, uh, and uh, last week's attendance, whatever. I shouldn't say that because I still have friends that that's there. Song was written in 1872. All right. So I just mentioned that to say it's not new. It's also kind of written in the King's English. Uh, so you'll have to you'll have to work through it. But it's an old hymn of the church that simply say uh, is called "I Need You." It says, "I need Thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like Thine can peace afford." Some of you are familiar with the, with the chorus, I need thee, oh, I need thee, every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. I think this is a great song to try to help focus our minds on what does it mean to be poor in spirit. Verse 2 says, I need thee every hour, stay thou nearby. Temptation, temptations, plural, lose their power. When thou art nigh. What does thou art nigh mean? When you're close by, right? Isn't that a cool truth? Right? The confession, I need you, but, but, but t- temptations lose their power when you're close to God. Verse 3, I need thee every hour in joy or in pain. How many can raise your hand and say it sounds like 2018? Some joy, some pain, some life, Right? Come quickly and abide, not a word we use much anymore, or life is in vain. I need thee every hour, verse 4. Teach me thy will, thy rich promises in me fulfill. I think that's particularly appropriate in the Beatitudes because these are he's talking about things that God wants to do in our lives. Right? Some of you are smiling, and I know, I, I know the question I'm going to get after service, and I'm going to address it here in a minute. I need thee every hour, most holy one. Oh, make me thine indeed, thou blessed son. Well, pastor, if that's such a great song, how come we don't sing more hymns? Because they're old, and you can't explain every word. But old isn't bad. Huh? But new isn't bad. All right? And in heaven, I think there's going to be multiple music venues. All right? Probably the 80s rock one is going to be the most crowded, but who knows? <laughs> but isn't that cool when you just look at this and you can see this songwriter, 1872, say, uh, with that honest confession, God, I need you. Because I'm better off within you than I am on my own. And that just seems so ridiculously understated. But it's absolutely true. 
I need you every hour. I need you. Would you stand? I want to close this in a word of prayer. Band's got a great tune for us to close up with. Father God, thank you for your word, for the truth that's there, much more than we have covered this morning. Would you use these words to stir our hearts toward spirit, toward a right attitude between ourselves individually and you, a balanced approach where it's all about you that we understand created us to be, who you want us to be, how and where you want us to grow, things you want us to add into our lives and things you want us to delete. Lord God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray you'd speak to us individually this morning. Lead and guide us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Amen.